Thanks, Lisa. If it makes you feel better, I get nervous, too. Um, I remember actually years, years ago, I wasn't going to share this story, but my wife's not in this service, so we'll go ahead and do it. Uh, years ago, I was working in another church, and the senior pastor was out of town, and he invited me to preach, and I had very rarely got to preach. And when, you know, the night before, I get sick with this stomach bug, and it's, you know, up all night, not pleasant. But it's not like you can just call somebody the next morning and say, hey, can you come preach my sermon for me? So I'm like, I'm going to do this. And, and the whole morning, I'm sitting there praying, like, you know, God, just help me get through this. And, and we did. We got through it. And the senior pastor came back, and I was talking to him, and I was like, oh, Bill, I, I think I'm probably the first pastor in the history of this church who sat on the front row saying, dear Jesus, please help me not to throw up during the sermon. And he said, no, Mike, I pray that every week. So, anyway, I was like, <laughs> so, all right, it is official. Uh, December is here, so you guys know what that means. Uh, for you guys, it means this is finals week, right? You can hang in there. You can do it. They're all, they've all got their coffee. They're ready. Um, but for really, for all of it, it means that, that the countdown towards Christmas has officially begun. And every year, the church joins in that countdown by engaging and observing a season that we call Advent. And that's in full swing. Advent actually comes from an old Latin word that means arrival. So Advent is a season of the year where we set aside time to really focus in a special way on this arrival of Jesus that we believe really did change human history forever. So all during this month, we're doing some special things to really help us uh, think about that and reflect on that. And one of the things that we're doing is we're taking the, the sermon series during the month of December to help us move towards Christmas, but we're doing it in a way that might not seem all that Christmas-y, uh, because we're talking about the idea of fear. Um, so it, to get started, I'd love to invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if it would help you for any reason, there are some red Bibles in those seats in front of you. You can grab one of those and turn to the page number that's there on the screen so that you can read along. Um, but as we're getting started, I want to take a moment and acknowledge the debt that this sermon owes to another pastor, a guy named Craig Rochelle. Uh, a number of years ago, he addressed this passage in a sermon, and his work there was really helpful to me and laid the groundwork for a lot of what I'm going to share with you all today. So what we're doing in this series, each week in the series, we're looking at a different Christmas story. There's a number of different stories around the birth of Christ that we have in the four Gospels in the New Testament. And in four of those stories, an angel shows up. And pretty much every time an angel shows up, the very first thing that the angel says is, fear not, right, or don't be afraid. Um, so what we're doing each week is just looking at one of those stories and seeing how the, the truth of that story can impact the way that we deal with fear in our life today. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of a man named Joseph. Um, but before we get into that, I want to ask you all a question. And you can raise your hands for this if you want to, but you, you don't have to. But I'm just wondering, um, how many of you, if you're really being honest, how many of us care what other people think about us? Yeah, I mean, all of us do, right? I mean, I'd say that those who didn't raise your hand were lying, but I told you you didn't have to raise your hand. But no, it's true. It's, it's just human nature. At some point, we all wonder about what other people think about us, right? That's why we have bathroom mirrors, so we can look at ourselves in the morning before we leave. Um, and it's normal. It's a normal fear to have. But it's not something that you want to get so obsessed about that eventually that fear begins to, to take over and to control your life. So what we're going to look at today is a story where some of that fear of what other people were thinking shows up in the life of this character in the Bible, a man named Joseph. So we're going to jump into the story in verse 18 where we meet Joseph, who is the, the man who is engaged to marry a lady named Mary, who's going to be the mother of Jesus. But before we do that, we need to talk a little bit about how engagements worked in the first century, because it's very different than how we think about it today. Like for us today, if you're, if you're engaged, if you've proposed to somebody, you're engaged, 
in, at any point in the engagement, if you decide to not go through with it, you can just call the engagement off, right? I mean, it could be kind of awkward if you've got a return address or if you've already sent out invitations, whatever that might be. But you can call the invitation off and there's no legal consequences for that. Um, but it was very different in the first century Jewish world. At that point, uh, engagements typically lasted a year or two. They begin when a woman is pledged to be married, and then eventually they would, would come together in marriage. And during that, that time, the, the groom-to-be was getting things ready financially. Oftentimes, they were building a house, like adding on to their parents' house to have a place where their, their family, where they could live once they got married. But during that, that period of the engagement, it was as if the marriage had already happened in a legal sense. So if you decided you didn't want to go through with the marriage at some point during that, that period, you legally had to file for divorce to get out of it. And here's a piece of news. If you were engaged to somebody and, and the person you were going to marry somehow dies, you were considered a widow at that point or a widower. So again, very, very different. The, the engagement back then, the consequences were a lot higher. So keep that sort of understanding of engagement in mind as we read this story, because this is how Matthew kicks it off. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So that, that first line shows us we're in that engagement period. She's already been pledged to be married, but they haven't got to that point where they have come together. So in this engagement period. And, uh-oh, like, turns out she's pregnant. Now, I can only imagine that that must have been a very awkward conversation between Mary and Joseph. I mean, if you're Mary, like, how do you, how do you explain that one? Like, hey, Joseph, so I've got some interesting news. Um, I'm pregnant, but the good news is I didn't cheat on you because God is responsible for it. Now, if I'm Joseph, I tried to imagine this week, okay, what would I think if I were in Joseph's shoes? You know, first point, he'd probably say like, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but you know, I didn't cheat on you as God. He's probably, yeah, right. I mean, I saw the way the guy at the well was looking at you the other day, okay? I mean, I know how these things work. Or if she insists, she says, no, 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 I mean, it's really God. He thinks, okay, Mary, if you believe this, you're either absolutely crazy or you are lying to my face. And either way, I'm not sure I want to be along for this ride. Uh, he's got to be thinking like, okay, if I go through with this, what, <laughs> what are people going to think of her? What are they going to think of me, right? What are they going to think about us? And see, from a first century perspective, Mary is in quite a bit of trouble. Like, it wasn't always enforced this way, but, but legally, it was within Joseph's right to have Mary put to death for getting pregnant before she ended up, you know, officially finalizing the marriage. And Joseph's in trouble, too, if you think about it, right? Because he's either the guy whose fiancée cheated on him, or he's the guy who got his fiancée pregnant before they got married. Either way, people are going to think things about him. And if he ends up divorcing Mary, it's going to be a tougher sell if he wants to get married later, because he's got to go to some dad who knows the story that he already dismissed one wife. And when he says, hey, can I marry your daughter? He's probably going to think twice about that. So it's not an easy spot for Joseph to be in. And you see in the next verse what it is he decides to do about this situation. So in verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, so Joseph's done. He's going to bail on the situation. Like, it's either she's lying or she's crazy. Either, either way, it's just, it's just too messy for him. But look at what it says where it says he wants to divorce her quietly. So a lot of the scholars that look at that, they say what's going on is, is Joseph's trying to go about this divorce in, in really a, a kind way. Right? He's not going to call her out pregnant, publicly for being pregnant with all the questions and the consequences that would bring. It's, it's really pretty compassionate. It's almost like he's saying, look, okay, Mary, it's, it's clearly not going to work out for us. But it doesn't have to be over for you. Maybe, maybe Mary could go somewhere else and have the baby, and then she could start over. And, and maybe there's a way for me to start over as well. 
So that's the plan that Joseph has in mind. But it's right here where the, the story kind of takes a turn. And Joseph learns a pretty important lesson. Right? Joseph is about to learn that sometimes pleasing God means disappointing people. Right? Sometimes doing the things that God calls us to do, pleasing God, means that we are going to disappoint people. Right? He's going to see that if we want to obey God, at times we're going to have to do things that people don't understand, they don't necessarily agree with, because pleasing God sometimes means disappointing people. And you kind of see how the story goes on. In verse 20, so Joseph's considering divorcing her quietly. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so a couple of interesting things in this message. One, you know, the angel shows up and he's like, hey, Joseph, she's really not lying to you, okay? Mary didn't cheat on you. Like, God is the one who's behind this. So you can, don't have to worry about that. But then if you notice, the angel begins to address some of Joseph's fears really directly. This fear of what, what might people say if I go through with this? And the angel says, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife, right? Don't be afraid of what people are going to say if you go through with this marriage, don't be afraid of what people are going to whisper behind your back in the, growing month, in the coming months when her belly keeps growing bigger and bigger and, you know, the wedding bells haven't rung yet. Saying, Joseph, don't worry about what those people are going to think about you or about her. They might not understand. They might be critical. They might disapprove of your decision. But taking Mary as your wife is what God wants you to do. And sometimes pleasing God means you're going to end up disappointing people. Um, there's actually more to the angel's message than just confirming, you know, the fact that God is behind the pregnancy. Uh, there's a little bit more information about who this baby is going to be that I, I think must have helped Joseph as he's trying to wrap his mind around the fact, okay, why is it that for the very first time in human history, this baby is going to be born without an earthly father? And the reason for that is that this isn't just any baby, right? This baby is the long-awaited Messiah that God is sending into the world to bring hope and salvation to everybody. So for centuries, the Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah to come, this promised person who's going to come and, and, and make a way for people to come back to God. And the angel essentially is saying to Joseph, Joseph, God's tapping you on the shoulder to be a part of this. This is the greatest event in human history, and you've got a role to play. Like we, God wants you to provide the home where this baby is going to grow up. God wants you to, to care for him while he's young so that he can grow and eventually offer hope to every single person on earth. See, there's a big decision that Joseph has to make. What is he going to do? And, and the angel is trying to kind of lay out the reality of that, right? That's why he ties it back to these Old Testament promises. This baby isn't normal. It's not a, a typical baby. He says all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, right? This is something that God's been working on for a while, Joseph. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which that name in Hebrew means that God is with us. So Joseph understands the terms of the decision, right? He can, he can make the decision that pleases God, and it's going to disappoint people. It's going to confuse people. He's going to be making a decision that doesn't make a lot of sense from an earthly perspective. Or he can make the decision that's easier, right? The one that, that seems to make the most common sense, but if he does that, he's going to be disobeying God. And, you know, as we work to follow Jesus in this world— we are faced with those same kinds of decisions at well at times, aren't we? Right? There are going to be opportunities that we have where we have to make a decision, and we can either obey God, or we can do something easier to get the approval of others. 
And you know, we see examples of that all around us. For example, we have some friends here at Suburban who were, were given an opportunity to make a decision like that. So they had four kids, and just as they were approaching that, that magic moment when child number four was about to graduate from high school and they were going to have an empty nest, right, something they'd been looking forward to for a long time, uh, DHS called and said, hey, we got these two little girls that need a home. Would, would you be open to fostering and adopting? And again, for them, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, they've done their time. They're just about to enjoy the empty nest. But when they thought about it and prayed about it, they were like, this is what God wants us to do. We are going to obey. So they made a decision that didn't make a lot of sense if you just pencil it out on paper. It didn't make sense according to the world's way of making decisions. And that's just, that's just one story. I mean, I know a lot of you in this room, and I know that many of our lives are marked with those same kinds of choices, those same kinds of decisions. A lot of us have our own stories to tell about how God called us to make a decision and we chose to obey it, even if it didn't make sense from the perspective of the world around us. And that's the kind of decision that Joseph is faced with here. And the text goes on, it shows us a decision he made. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate the marriage till she gave birth to a son, and he names that little boy Jesus. Right? So in the end, Joseph decides that what God thinks about him is more important than what people think about him. So he ends up choosing to obey, even though I'm sure there was some fear associated with that. He's really stepping into a lot of unknowns there. But he felt like God was calling him to do it, so he made the decision to obey. So what do, what do we pull from this story today? Um, I think there's a lot of directions we could go, but there's, there's one big idea that I want us to focus in on, and that's this. Have you ever noticed that extraordinary acts of God often start with very ordinary acts of obedience on our part? Right? Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. I mean, you see that clearly in this story. The stakes are high. Right? Mary is getting ready to have a baby who literally is going to save the entire world and change human history forever. That's pretty extraordinary. But the step that God is asking Joseph to take isn't all that extraordinary. Basically, he's saying like, hey, you're already engaged. Just go ahead and marry her. Right? Just go ahead and go through with it. And we'll talk about it some next week when we look at Mary's side of the story. But, you know, she also had a choice to make. But it's interesting if you think about it, right? Human history was forever changed because these two people said yes to God. And they just said, okay, we're just going to obey whatever the simple next step is. And think about all that meant for a second. I mean, they, they had no idea how all of the details of this were going to go play out. I mean, it's not like the angel gives them very detailed marching orders and instructions. Really, the angel says, hey, she's going to have a baby. Uh, don't divorce her. Name him Jesus. He's going to save people. And like, that's it. And then the angel's gone. Like, do you ever want, like, there's no guidance. Okay, how, <laughs> do you ever want, I mean, parents have like a million questions they got to figure out anyway with normal kids, right? How do you think Mary and Joseph, what were the conversations like when they're like, how do we discipline the son of God as he's growing up? Like, do you put him in a timeout? Do you spank him? I mean, did Jesus even do anything that would have merited a timeout or spank him? I have no idea. But there's no specific guidance on that, right? There's no information on like, hey, as he's growing up and figuring out who he is, how do we help him with that? How do we shepherd and guide him? What does that even look like as a parent? And it's crazy. God doesn't give him the detailed blueprints. Essentially, he just says, here's the next step you need to take. Start walking, right? Start walking. I'll be with you. We'll figure it out as we go. And I think there's something in there that can be really, really helpful to us. Uh, the story shows us that we don't have to understand completely to obey completely. 
Like, we don't have to know where the road is going to end. We don't have to have all of the details lined out for us. We just have to take the first step, whatever it is that God's asking us to do. And we just trust that he's going to continue to lead and guide us as we go. Because ultimately, when it, when it comes down to this, right, following God, when it comes to following God, the outcome of what we do is God's responsibility. Our responsibility is just to obey. Okay, obedience, when it comes to what God is asking us to do, obedience is our responsibility. That's what we have control over. Outcome is God's responsibility. And in practical terms, I mean, what, what can that mean for us today? I, I think, I mean, I'm really hopeful that this can be an encouragement for us today. Because really, when you stop and think about what God calls us to do, all we've got to do is obey. We take the first step. He's in charge of the outcomes. One of the things that it reminds us of is that we never know what big thing God might want to set in motion through a very simple thing that he's asking us to do. So, for example, Martha's parents are here this morning, and years ago they were working as missionaries in Chile. And they're just trying to start a church, they're getting to know people. So Craig, my father-in-law, meets a a mutual friend, a guy named Raul Osa. And he starts to get to know him, he talks to him about Jesus, and Raul ends up being the very first person that my father-in-law baptized in Chile. Fast forward a few years, and Raul has a family, and he's got this, this scrawny teenage son named David. And Martha and I are in Chile, and we're starting a children's camp, and we're like, hey, we need some, I mean, like, we're, we need somebody with energy to come and help us with this. So we, we ask these different teenagers to come and volunteer, and David's like, oh, I'm not doing anything this week. Sure, I'll come help. And something about serving God in that environment, it just lit a fire in him. So for the next few years, he's, he's serving all over the place. He's doing different things. And now David and his wife Claudia are actually serving as full-time missionaries in Uruguay. Like We just prayed for them this morning because they are missionaries that we support as a church. They began working with college students in Chile. Now they're working in Uruguay. Those are the two kids. And exciting news, just found this out about a week ago. You can't tell in the picture, but number three is on the way. Pretty sure that was David and not the Holy Spirit this time. Um, that joke didn't work in this service either. Oh! Martha was like, don't do that one again. I'm like, no, babe, I feel it's gonna... No, okay. Anyway, but, <laughs> but, but think about it, right? Think about, think about the lives that David and Claudia have, have touched. And think about the lives that their ministry will continue to touch. And then think about how that goes on and how those lives are different and how they'll impact the next generation. They'll impact the next generation. It is just extraordinary things that God can do through them. But it started out with something very ordinary, it was my father-in-law taking a guy out to lunch that he met and just getting to know him. It was Martha and I inviting this scrawny teenager, like, hey, do you want to come serve a couple hours a week in this? It, it was you all, maybe just putting a few dollars in the offering or writing a check, knowing that the finances that you give to this church is used to support ministries like that. Right? God has done and will continue to do extraordinary things through their ministry. But it really began with some things that seemed very, very ordinary. So I think that leads us to a really interesting question to wrestle with, which, which is this. Um, what simple, ordinary thing is God asking you to do this week that he might end up using in really extraordinary ways? Um, I don't know. Maybe God is laying it on your heart to invite somebody who needs to hear about Jesus to church, right? Maybe you want to invite him to one of the Christmas Eve services, and that's the step of obedience. Or maybe as you're getting to know this friend or coworker, you realize like, oh man, they're, they're a long way. They're not anywhere near ready to go to church. But, but what God is prompting you to do is to begin to just have some conversations with them about faith, about the values, about the difference God has made in, in, their, in your life. Like you never know how simply obeying in that step, how God might use that to transform that person's life and how then that might make a difference in that person's family for generations to come. 
right? Extraordinary things happen when we take these ordinary steps of obedience. Or, you know, God might be calling you to invest in this place and in this mission and ministry by serving here. And you might think, well, it's not a big deal. Like, I'm just helping out in the kids' classroom a couple times a month. Or, like, I'm just helping lead this group. Or, I'm, I'm just making coffee. I'm just greeting people at the door. But again, you, you have no idea how God might use, he might have you in that place, in that moment, to say just the right word that somebody needs to hear to be brought closer to God, right? You have no idea how God might use the ordinary things he's calling you to do to make an extraordinary difference in someone's life. Or maybe for you, like the way that's gonna play out is in, in giving financially to the church. Maybe that's something you've never done before. But you know, you, you, never, you might find yourself years down the road looking back and thinking, I had no idea the difference that being generous would make in my life and in my heart and in my family and in my faith. Like, I had no idea that I would experience so much joy in giving back to God a portion of what he's given me and seeing how, how that is used to make a difference in people's lives. Like, this is how it always works with God in every area of our life. We never know what extraordinary thing he might want to do with these ordinary acts of obedience, right? It's, you have no idea what a simple single act of obedience can set in motion when God is working behind it. Let's go back to the story for just a second and see how it ends. So it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, right? He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed. And through that very simple act of obedience, God changed human history forever, I mean, here's the thing, like, in this life, we are always going to have to face our fears about what other people think about us, because if we are really following Jesus, regularly, we will be doing things that other people don't understand, right, that people in the world look at and think, that doesn't make any sense. We might even do some things that people in the church look at and think, I don't know about that, right, but here's the thing, if we're following God, we're going to stand out, and that's not always easy to deal with. I'm sure it was not easy for Joseph to deal with that. But again, just look at that one sentence and what he did, right? He did what God commanded him to do. So when you find yourself in moments where you're trying to figure out what decision to make, right? Are you going to do the right thing or the easy thing? Are you going to obey God? Are you going to get people's disapproval? We're all going to face those moments. So when you find yourself in those moments today or this week, I want to encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to help bring the example of Joseph to your mind. Invite him to give you the very same courage that he gave Joseph so you too can choose to take that simple step of obedience because you never know what a single act of obedience can set in motion. You never know what God will do when you rely on his spirit to face your fears and obey him. Extraordinary acts of God in your life, in my life, in our world, they often start with very ordinary acts of obedience. So as we prepare to close today, we're going to sing another song or two in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to pray, and we're just going to pray that, that God would speak to us and that he would make us sensitive to what he's calling us to do through his word and through the spirit today. So would you pray with me? God, thank you. Uh, thank you that you still do speak to us today. Uh, thank you for the example that we see in scripture of Joseph, who you know, had to make a very difficult decision and had some real fears about what people were going to think about him. But we're grateful, Lord, for the lesson that we can learn, right? That, that sometimes pleasing you means disappointing people. Uh, but all we're called to do, Lord, is obey. And, and you can take a simple, single act of obedience on our part and do something extraordinary with it. 
So we just pray, Lord, that you would help us know how to respond to what you are doing in our hearts and our spirits at this moment. Um, As we sing, Lord, would you even just take the words of these songs to guide us and help us know what it is that you're calling us to do. Would you bring to mind a picture of what it looks like to follow you today? And then as you do that, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to step out and do that in faith?